2: Jason, You're listening to the Sports Adjacent.
1: Okay, I like that. I just learned something new today. Adjacent.
2: With Jason Leisure and Russell Dorsey on the House of L Network. We're doing everything I dreamed of as an adjacent. I'm currently uh, looking out my window here in Tempe, and there's like a dust storm coming.
3: We don't have. The, yeah, that's so. weird. When you're in like Vegas or Arizona or something, and you see that, it's so weird because it's it looks like it's foggy, but that's not what it is at all. Yeah,
2: and I, I want I, no parts. I want to be inside when that happens.
4: I'm not sure I can add to yeah. that. I, I don't have a reference point for that. <laughs> ah. For me, it's rain and it comes sideways. I I can't add to dust storms or wind storms. I, I got nothing. Listen, our, wind, I, our, I, our, wind, I our wind storm takes the roof off. That's what our wind storm looks like. Anything else is yeah, there's that we call it. We call it uh, un viento platanero, which is uh which is like a, a, tr- a direct translation is a plantain breeze, meaning it's a breeze <laughs> that's just strong <laughs> enough to knock the bananas off the trees. Well, anything other than that, like we, we can we consider that. That's low key, you know, it's got, if it, uh, we only have to, we only worry
2: about it when it blows the roof off. Listen, I, I feel like I'm prepared for the rain, um, but the dust storm, I don't know what, like there's no coat or jacket or um, like an umbrella doesn't help you in that. <laughs>
4: yeah, no, get, get goggles. I think you need like the yes. old Horace yes. Grant
2: goggles. Yes.
4: Horace Grant goggles, man. That's where it's at the right there. Oh, Rex <laughs> Who's the Who's Dude, Horace Grant? Gotten... Wait, is there a Horace Grant right now in basketball? Who's your Horace Grant, and not just game, the right? One that because wears goggles? but like, who's the goggle wearing guy in the NBA right now?
3: I don't know. Is there and anybody
4: I, under I forty is like anymore. anybody under forty is like who's Horace Grant?
2: <laughs> Horace right. Horace trying to get back yes. in the news, man. He's him and Scotty on tour. Like um, to answer a question. Oh, he though, chose his side, huh? Yeah, no, he he's he's Team Scotty. Uh, okay, it's fine. Um, yeah. Scotty was responsible J&A for all those rings. Mm-hmm. Horace Grant, Jason, you you covered basketball. You should have an answer to this.
3: Oh, but that was so long ago, man. That was <laughs> the big thing then. When I was covering basketball like ten years ago, was uh, LeBron broke his nose and he wanted to wear the all black mask that the league said you couldn't wear. But he thought it looked real cool. And they let him do it for a half. And then at halftime, they said, no, no, no. I get I get Rip Hamilton when I think of the mask. When I think
4: of the man in the mask, I think of Rip. Yeah. I don't know why you guys. Didn't guys That's back in get. the
3: day, didn't they used to wear almost like that um, visor-style Oakley sunglasses? Wasn't there something like that, too, that basketball yeah, yeah. players would or, wear?
4: Horace Grant had like these goggles, right, that were like, ah. Uh, <sighs> they were more than glasses but not quite like the ski goggles like not quite yeah. the not quite the uh, you know bono on tour uh, and his
2: and his was different from like the Kareem Abdul Jabbar goggles too
4: yes Kareem had the more full enclosure like yes he, like he had yes. like his his eyeballs were hermetically sealed
2: <laughs> You're right right
3: so is did this you, the cold open you, is this
4: the show are we in the show
3: Yes, check, check. it is. We're here. Carlos Frias. Yes, you're good, man. And you sound good. You look good. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've I'm listened, surprised. Listened to I'm a couple surprised. Of episodes. I'm surprised Russ didn't already try to uh, wow you with his Spanish because Russ no, I want is no a parts. Spanish speaker.
2: No. I'm even oh, you're very, you're very good. You're very <laughs> good. <for laughs> I you see. didn't grow up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, have I been, don't know. Did you understand like, what he just said? Uh something about pants. Did he say I don't he have said, pants? Ha- on? He said I had I have no pants, yes. <laughs> Which okay. All right. I mean in the in the world of could the be true. podcasting, it be true. You'll never know. It could be. Yeah, it could be. I am uh I often try to use Spanish. Like when I can tell that's the language the other person speaks, and maybe they're not comfortable in English. And I'm I but it's so bad, like I probably sound like a caveman, just like a Spanish-speaking caveman. Like I don't know a lot of. I, I've forgotten so much of it now from college and high school. And my wife is fluent, so if my wife's around, I can just have her do it. But if not, I'm like uh, necesito un towel. Como se dice ¿Tau? I go to como se dice a lot. <laughs> I just for some reason I think if I say como como se dice, they'll suddenly know the English word that I'm about to say next after that. Como se dice, iced tea with uh, extra ice and no sweetener,
2: right? Right. Like I you, mean, I you said you como tran- se dice. You you, it's you know your right?
4: translate button. Yeah, como se yeah. dice is like your is the easy no. button.
2: Yeah, JD, you're work. a como se dice Walmart guy. Like <laughs> that's <you>. right. Yeah. <laughs>
4: it's in Spanish. It's spelled Guálmar. G U A L M A R. Guálmar. Okay, that's how we say you. it. That's our phonetic spelling for it. Guálmar. <laughs>
2: But I tell Jason all the time, it's like everybody in his household speaks Spanish except him. And you would yeah. think at this point he's like, "All right, let me get let me get on the train." Well, they don't but speak no. it in
3: the house for they don't like. It's not like everybody's speaking in Spanish, and I don't know what's going on. Because if they were doing that, I think that would highly motivate me to figure it out.
4: Yeah, yeah, your kids doing things that you don't know about. That's that's a good motivating factor for sure. Right,
2: Russ. How do you speak Spanish? Like, do you do you have some Spanish? Yeah, I, I I started in damn seventh grade. And like living in Chicago, like we have okay. tons of Spanish around right. and into high school, then did AP, then went to the what's score?
4: What'd you score on the on the AP test? Give us give it to us right now. Oh, a three. A three, okay. Right? That's passing <laughs> a three like the, credit. The,
2: the, yeah, that's, the credit. The, that's where you get credit. That I never did better any, than that in anything. Listen, uh, I didn't do better than that in English. Can I get a three? <laughs> if I right. can get a three, I'm feeling good. Right. Um, and then once threes, I got the college. Threes get degrees.
4: That's how we do it.
1: Yes.
2: Once I got <laughs> in college, stopped using it. And then I started, when I figured out I wanted to write about baseball, I'm like, well, this is a skill that could really help me that other people don't have. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of just I'm in place being – somebody who kind of pick up Spanish fast in school, then being around baseball and picking it up. And so kind of making sure I, you know, learn words and phrases, then you're learning baseball Spanish, right, which is different than what you learn in school. Right. And I had the benefit of like the Spanish I learned was Dominican Spanish um, because the my teacher in my high school, you know, they had like this partnership with the school and the Dominican. So. Uh, nice. Yeah, that's how I that's learned. Awesome. And, and it, it's something that is very beneficial, obviously, in my job writing about baseball. But it's also something where it's like, you love the language, you love the culture. And we live in a world where why not, like, know another language? Like, I was telling these guys a couple of weeks ago on the pod, like, going to Europe and you hear people say, yeah, I know, like, four, five languages. And you're like, oh, I know two. <laughs> and then you feel bad. Like, what have I been doing with my life? Listen. If you know two languages in America,
4: it's like you're you're you know, uh, I, I don't know. You're you're like the, the Aristotle. You know what's funny? Is you me- you mentioned baseball, and it's funny because my first break, like my first chance to do anything significant in sports writing, um, was I was in the I was at the St. Pete Times. Uh, it's now called the Tampa Bay Times. That's how old I go. That's how far back I go. I go Horace Grant, and I go St. Pete Times. <laughs>
3: And
2: I was. If you, want to, if
3: you want to do like old timey newspaper talk, we can talk about when you and I both worked at the Palm Beach Post and it yeah. was like it was like on par with the New York Times as far as sports coverage. Yeah, it was. And now, was like I, now it might just writers. be a website. I don't even know if it's still.
4: <laughs> you know, what's funny is that so I was at this um, and you guys will relate to this uh, that really if you start out in sports and you have an interest in sports, usually you start in preps, right? Yeah. Yes. Preps in some some forgotten place. I had this really good boss. His name was um, uh, Ray Cox. He used to be the sports editor of the uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, but back then, he was my mentor at the Sun Sentinel in Fort Lauderdale. And he was like, when I came out of school and I was like, hey, I'm ready for a job. And he's like, good. Go somewhere small and make your mistakes in a place where few people will see them. <laughs> and I was so mad. And the first time I made a mistake that I was embarrassed about, I was like, thank you, Ray Cox. Give it Bless <laughs> up to Ray Cox because like doing that and working in a small little bureau in hernando county it's fine if you don't know where that is in florida up on, up on the west on the gulf side north sun coast i was working covering high schools there were three high schools and um one day the the the, the rays get this this picture rolando arrojo from who you also don't remember uh but he was this big cuban prospect and his family had just arrived like he was playing, he was called up and, and like a couple, I want to say a couple weeks later, a couple months later, his family arrived from Cuba. And we got the tip that they were going to be at the game. So the, the whole newsroom looked around and no one knew how to speak Spanish. No one knew how to speak Spanish at a newspaper in Florida, except this one kid with a year's worth of experience in Hernando County. And I went down for the game and was like, you know, there were TV reporters were like, what, you know, talked to the family in the stands, found them. TV reporters are like, what's he saying? I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm just trying to write my story here. Just give me a break, man. I'm <laughs> trying to take notes. And like it was that was the first time where like this thing that I had totally taken for granted in my life, um, learning a second language, knowing a second language I was lucky enough to grow up in and then kind of develop, uh, you know, going to school like you did, you know, taking in school, taking AP test, taking it in college. That really became my entryway into be able into being able to develop myself into a into a career that was a little bit multidimensional, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah and it's much. like there's there's you would think at this point in time staying in baseball, there'd be a lot more reporters who, you know, knew a little bit, you know, and that's why something for me is like, even if I am not perfect because I know how I am. It's like, people say, Oh, you know, you're fluent. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know people that are fluent and it is not me, but like, if I can have a conversation, right. I can introduce myself, tell you what I'm working on in Spanish where you're like, Oh, okay. Like he took the time to know what I need from him in my language so that he could write his story in his language. I think that's really important. And it's like, What I always tell people is if it's our responsibility as journalists to talk to people. We should be able to do it in in the language of the people we're talking to at least a little bit, you know? Yeah.
4: Yeah. We we should go to them. We should go to them rather than expecting them to come to us. And that's true inside of sports and everything else. You know, like wherever you work, especially in media, wherever you work, you have to like you have to humble yourself. And you have to remember, as a reporter, no matter what you what area you're in, that you know nothing. Like really, you know nothing. You can school yourself on the thing, you know what I mean. But but ultimately, yeah. you're going to someone that knows more than you, and you're and you're humbling yourself to say, I understand. I I respect you enough to know the outside edges of what you do and what you're doing. But teach me, you know, like tell me how you do that, or help me. Tell me how you did this, or how does that work, you know. And I feel like that goes a long way, no matter uh, what what you're in in life, right? Cause, Absolutely. Cause people like to people like to have you tip their hat a little. You're tip your hat to them, you know.
3: Yeah, I think it's about resp- how you respect other people as a person. Just forget what you do for a job, but also it's gonna be better. Like I would rather hear this person be able to if I have the skills to do it. I would rather hear this person articulate their thoughts, their feelings in the way that is most natural to them, and then I will do my best to translate that to something that my audience can read. Let me start the show so I can introduce you because you are new to our show, and I'm so excited to have you here finally. Uh, Welcome to Sports Adjacent. I'm Jason Leisure with my co-host, Russ Dorsey. Russ is in Arizona for spring training for I don't know how long. I don't know how uh, long you've been
2: there. I don't know when you're coming back. I've been here. Like, so it's one of the things when you're covering spring training, after like three days, you forget, one, what days are because you're waking up at the crack of dawn because these camps are opening up at 745, 8 a.m. And so because my body's on Chicago time, it's <laughs> That is not why people get into baseball writing. They don't get no. into baseball writing to get up at 7 a.m. No, it's 5 a.m. when I'm waking up which is seven Chicago time. So I'm getting up at five. You know, my eyes are red because something about baseball writers, uh, you know, we, we enjoy our going out time, especially doing spring
3: training. I think it's baseball period, right? It's not just the baseball writers. It's all baseball.
2: 1000%. Yeah. So I, I've been here for like four days. I'll be here for like another five, six days. And then I'm going home and then I'm actually actually coming back. Uh, in like another 10 days after I get home, do you not ever
3: go to Florida? The half the leagues in Florida, is it just because you guys, all you baseball writers complain about the driving that half of it's on the Gulf coast, half of it's on the Atlantic coast.
4: Carlos, well, you want to have, take this one? All right. So I, I have had the, the, the misfortune of, <laughs> of being able to cover spring training yes. in both places. Right. And yeah. I find that well, that Arizona is so civilized. Oh, everything like it's yes. everything is everything is a straight shot in the left turn, a right turn and a, le- <laughs> yeah. and a left turn. And it's everything is right there. It's like a little Disneyland, even Scottsdale and Phoenix. Like, even Scottsdale itself looks like a little a little Western town. It's so adorable. Mm-hmm. Florida, <laughs> you're driving across like two lane roads across like where there's you don't see a person. You see a strike, you know, a. A, a rangy looking cow, you know what I mean? And then, like, did I make a right turn? Did I make a wrong turn? And you end up at a place where, like, it's a gas yeah. station or maybe a
3: mortuary. Uh, who knows? Jeez. And like, see, like people, the, the, people think of Florida and they think South Beach. I'm like, go see, go to Lakeland sometime. Oh go my to Detroit God. Tigers camp in Lakeland sometime, or the old um, the the
4: old uh, Cleveland training facility, uh, which was like Cleveland colors, and it's all like. Everything is is uh, feels like middle school, nineteen sixty seven. You know what I mean? Like everything is painted with many layers of paint, and everything is concrete. <laughs> and and the steps steps to wherever you're going are too shallow. Uh, even like remember Dodger Town? There was a place called yeah. Dodger Town in Vero I went Beach. There once I went yeah. there once when I was and it's like, like an intern, and it was so like uh, and people were like, oh, it's amazing Dodger town. Uh, it had it's this like mean, little league,
3: like they didn't it's even like have a, dugout it's a little like league park fenced enclosure and a, and a bench like little league does. It's a little league park with like these, uh, these, I would call them changing rooms. I wouldn't even
4: call them uh, locker rooms. It's so janky, man. I, Arizona felt like, like, like major league one B, you know what I mean? Like they got a chance yeah. to do it right with money versus spring training which was like let's let's have a little our little double a team single a team down here you know in 1952 you know and and not change a thing and bro those and you're driving so you might drive three hours three and a half hours to get to like a meaningless game from one edge of the coast to the other i do not miss that and living in a house then so the the ajc that when i I was a uh a backup beat writer for the Atlanta journal constitution um, with uh, uh, Dave O'Brien, who came up from, uh, from South Florida and, and Carol Rogers at the time. Um, and you would share a house with rotating, like different sports writers rotating in. And I can't tell you, I think like it was less civilized than, than like m- any kind of college accommodations that I had, you know, like I was in a frat, but I was like, Oh, this is single. Bachelor lifestyle. Everything smelled like socks. It, 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 there's nothing sexy about it. I don't let anybody write poetically about covering spring
2: training. It's not sexy. But to, the, to no, that point, Jason, I was gonna say we kind of divided and conquered. So Jake was out in Florida. Oh, Jordan you stuck someone else with the uh,
3: Florida coast to coast driving. Okay.
2: He oh, has yeah. covered Florida plenty and had it covered. And it's kind of like for, for me. Unless I'm working on something at a specific camp, you're wasting, like Carl said, three hours driving from Tampa, where the Yankees are,
1: mm-hmm. to
2: West Palm, where the Phillies are, or Dundee, where the Blue Jays are, or Lakeland, where the Tigers are. Where here, I can be centrally located in 10 yeah. There are four complexes within 10 minutes, and the other eight or nine are a 20-minute drive away. I've, I do think Carlos
3: is pretty accurate in his description. I've only ever been to one spring training facility in Arizona. I've been to most of them in Florida at, over time for feature stories and things like that. The ones in Florida, for the most part, unless they're pretty new, uh, remind you of middle schools or high schools. And the White Sox, I think, do the White Sox share with the Dodgers or somebody, yes. Russ? So I've been yeah. to that one. Uh, a few years ago, and that was like if someone who designed resorts for a living just kind of stepped over and was like, let me design a, a ballpark for you guys. That um, The new voice that you are hearing for the first time on this show is Carlos Frias, who is 1A, 1B, like one of the best – Probably he is the best. He is the best writer I have ever worked with or known Come as on, a man. friend. This guy is – a phenomenal writer, and Carlos and I. Carlos was a, uh, a mentor to me when I was starting out um, down at the Palm Beach Post. He is a longtime sports writer. Wrote a lot of features. Wrote like was had this ability to, and still has this ability. I'm sure, even though you don't do this anymore, really at the moment, but can get inside a person's story, and then. Tell it to you in a way that you love reading. Carlos wrote a book, Russ, in 2008 called "Take Me With You," which is kind of like a dive into like his experience of, I would say, walking through his family's history in Cuba. Is that an accurate description of that? Yeah, that's that's probably the best description I've heard of it. Absolutely, my wife cried reading that book. Like that's how good of a writer this guy is, and and a better guy than a writer because you know when you're an intern. When you're nobody walking into a place, like there's nobody there that has time to help you or no one, no one is, no, very few people will care to invest in you. And Carlos was one of the people who really did, who taught me a lot about writing when I was starting out. And then just as interesting of a person as you'll find, because he has this long career like a lot of us have in sports writing, but then doesn't and gets to where you want to be. Like writing great profiles and being on a baseball beat, working in big markets, things like that, on all the big assignments. Like When the the Super Bowl was in Miami, um, when I was an intern and the Bears played uh, the Colts, like he was assigned, if I remember right, to kind of write about Peyton Manning at the Super Bowl. And he does it the way I was going to say Sports Illustrated, but that's not around anymore. Uh, Sports Illustrated back in the day used to like this is an elite, elite writer and thinker and then he pivots from that into being essentially a food critic being the food editor and writer at the miami herald for a while then he pivots into hosting a talk show on the radio Uh, just a guy that has unbelievable talent and has been an unbelievable influence on my life and i thought beyond the fact that you would find him interesting russ i thought This is, this is right in your wheels. This is a baseball writer turned food critic. This is like, this is, this, this might be what you want to do someday. Also,
4: can I just, can I just say that?
2: Yes.
3: Well, I was going to, can I just say,
4: although I love Atlanta, a town is like, I love Atlanta with my heart. I was there six years. I really enjoyed it. But Chicago is like my, is my crush city. I learned to love it with my fiance and we've been there. I don't know, a dozen times already when we got engaged, we got engaged on one of those um, one of those lookout balconies at the at the Willis Tower. So, like, we got love. We got love for Chicago, and we and we we'd love to get yeah. into all the little places in there too.
3: So, have you have you ever been? I, I'm not in Chicago. I'm in Indianapolis right now for the NFL Combine. But have you ever been to Chicago in what we call spring, like when like, it's nice? I don't, I, no, no, gosh, no. When it's horrible? Uh, I don't I, I don't know what other people would call it. It's called spring in Chicago. We're not like technically there, but we're kind of in that ballpark here. In, this episode comes out March 1st. And I'll tell you, in the past week, not to make this like weather talk, but in the past <laughs> week, we have had, uh, I think, 70 degrees. I think it hit 70 or close to it. We had a day where it was about 70 and sunny. We had a day where we got uh, maybe two inches of snow. And we had uh, tornado warnings. That's all in the past week. All right. That's not I, just like, here's, that's not just me listening off crazy things I've seen in my life. That was the last week. Yeah. Can I, can I just share, if you don't, if you don't mind, I'll
4: share my, uh, my Chicago as a slice from another dimension city. Uh, I, I was, I was at the Palm Beach Post and I was writing features and I was, I was telling the story of, of this, um, this young woman who, um, who had like, uh, she, she had like emotional difficulties you know she needed special care and it was a whole series about how florida didn't have the the right care that that um that was required for a person you know for a family that wasn't rich that just needed to get get her mental health um and like inpatient mental health and they ended up sending her to a hospital in uh, to a facility in valparaiso so i flew into chicago the first week of june The first week of June, and as I drove across the border to Valparaiso, it was snowing. Wow. And by and by 4 p.m., it was 74. And I was like, what where am I? Is this have I crossed a nexus of some kind? And and I, I I have to respect the city that can do that to you unexpectedly (laughs) i was not prepared
3: my brother says that even he says this all the time even in the age where you just check your phone for the weather chicago is a place where you still have to ask somebody what's it like outside today
4: (laughs) chicago's like "Mm, here you go what's the weather like like
3: this you still gotta check two fingers up Uh, that's chicago um, I am at the Combine, and after being here for about 45 minutes, I'm completely tired of it and looking forward <laughs> to going home. Uh, Tony Gill, our littest producer in the game, is not here today, but Sports Adjacent is still brought to you by Sheets and Giggles. You can go to sheetsgiggles.com slash S-A, and there's like two things here at play. So everybody is going to get, if you go to Sheets and Giggles, Everybody is going to get to take advantage of their sleep month sale. Apparently, March is sleep month. I, I would like every month to be a month where we focus on sleep. But March is sleep month. So to celebrate that, that's like their deal is upgrading your bed. Uh, they're giving everybody 25% off. Just like in the past, though, just like their last several sales, if you listen to this show, if you use our link, sport uh sheetsgiggles.com/slash SA, or if you want to type the promo code in yourself, sports you get an extra $23 off. So this is like top, top quality bedding, 100% eucalyptus on the sheet set and um, just the most comfortable thing I've ever had on my bed. They do a good sale, and then you get a little bit extra off if you're a sports-adjacent listener. So go to sa. Carlos, you're new to this game, but there's some on the way for you, buddy. Whoop, whoop. I'm excited about see. it. You'll see. You should. I could. I ran over. I ran over to my my fiance and I was
4: like, "We're getting some sheets. Everything's coming together. We crossed over. We've we've hit the bid time. We're just getting free stuff. I'm gonna be laying on top of all this money. I need new sheets to lay on top of my money. Okay. All right.
3: You're excited about it. That's good. We'll clip this up and use this as a promo for them. Great. Ready. Uh, I'm ready. Sports Adjacent is also brought to you by BetMGM. You can go to BetMGM.com or download the BetMGM app and get this offer with promo code ADJACENT1000. Your first bet gets paid back in free future betting credits up to $1,500 if you don't win hockey, basketball, college basketball. We got baseball coming up. Uh, There's plenty to bet on at BetMGM. Use promo code ADJACENT1000 to get that offer. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. i wanted to ask you guys a question uh about hotels because carlos as a baseball writer i'm sure you've stayed in a million of them russ lives in hotels marriott um, marriott marriott marriott, okay.
4: marriott. baseball writers yes. no baseball writers no is marriott still where it's
3: at because that's what it was, when yep. I was oh in yeah okay. all, sports One all
2: sports I- writers i
3: except jather I'm the only one I know that stays at Hilton's. I'm the only I, one I know that doesn't. I will I
4: will cheat on I will cheat on Marriott with a Hilton every now and then. I will do that. <laughs> Listen, we, I'm gonna be real okay. here, right? We're being real on this yeah. podcast. Okay. I will yeah, cheat yeah, on yeah. Marriott with a Hilton. <laughs> okay. But but Marriott still, I mean that's that's my that's where I come home to.
2: I, I'm Jason, sorry, I, Marriott. Nah, nah. They're gonna take all your points away. Jason, I I was on a beat for 2 years and been a national writer this would be my 3rd year so 5 years covering baseball full full time where I'm on the road and traveling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had enough Marriott points when I went for my 2 week vacation to Europe uh, yeah. last month all Marriott points. Yeah. And I and I know people who've been ball writers for 10 15 20 years who have sticks Five million Marriott points and just give them out like candy just hey you you want 100,000 Marriott points
3: here you go I don't have that I can't I can't do that (laughs) but I don't know the last time I paid for a hotel and I don't do I don't even do the heavy travel like you do or like I did when I was a basketball writer I mean but no I don't have enough to be just handing them out you know baseball writing is cool because
4: like I never, I never really traveled for basketball, other than, than you know, like playoff series type of thing.
3: Yeah, NBA finals.
4: Ba- yeah, but but like basketball, I man, I have a, a a soft spot for basketball writers because you're in one city one t- today, tomorrow you're in another city, then you're in another city, and it's just you never get to be anywhere. Baseball, you roll in. I'm here for three nights. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll have dinner at this place, hang out at this other spot. Maybe I'll go to the. X museum, the cook, the cook museum, I'll go to the, you know, the, whatever it is, you get to really enjoy yep. a city and know it. And Absolutely. like, that was probably one of my favorite parts about covering,
3: covering baseball. When one I covered thousand. basketball, when I covered basketball and then uh, briefly covered hockey a few years ago, it is like that. And when you stay at the same hotel, it gets to this point where you wake up in the morning and they all look the same. And you're like, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Edmonton. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you always would look forward to though, On the schedule, if you got lucky enough that the team you covered was playing multiple teams in LA or multiple teams in New York or maybe uh, Bay Area or like Chicago and Milwaukee or something like that, that was always great because you'd be in one place for three days, six days, something like that. Um, I always looked forward. I always thought that would be good. But I think the downside to the baseball writing Is you could be gone for three weeks in a row, I think, couldn't you? Yeah. Aren't there road trips that are like three weeks in a row? And the thing that nobody ever remembers well, that's fine for you, Russ, because you're a single guy. You don't, you know, (laughs) you live this sad, lonely existence where there's nothing to miss back home. (laughs) But like, Pete, I remember uh, one of my first assignments as an intern that I thought was so cool when I was in South Florida was they just assigned me to cover New York Mets spring training. And that was the first time it occurred to me being around all the New York writers. And I hear them talking about like, you know, they're going to go home for a week or the family's coming down for spring break. Like, Oh man, they come down and live here for six weeks. So unless the team you cover is the Diamondbacks or the Marlins or the Rays, your first six
2: weeks of the season is you live somewhere else. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear what you're saying and you're correct. When I was on a beat, when I got the job, sometimes I was 25 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was great. Like, I get to go to L.A. for six days and then go to San mm-hmm. Francisco and then go to San Diego. <laughs> what am I missing at home? I can call my parents. Um, but that man mean,
4: he, he cannot keep money in his pocket. He couldn't no, keep money I, in I his pocket. I I
2: <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think with spring training for Chicago writers specifically, because of everything we mentioned, when you see J- the Martin Luther King's birthday come up, you know, like, oh, man got a couple, couple more weeks and I'm out of here. Like we look forward to it because you get to be in warmth for six weeks. Cause you know, it's at home.
4: Yeah. You know, for me, I had this experience. It's one of those, like, you know, Jason, you mentioned like, that I've been, I've hopped around in different parts of, of writing of journalism. That's the thing is if you're in it, I think for long enough, you end up seeing different sides of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had this opportunity, like I'd written my book, and it came out and it did really well. There was a series of stories that, that preceded it um, in a newspaper. And it caught the attention of the sports editor of the Washington Post. And he's like, We would love you to come up and cover the nationals. Love you to leave the Palm Beach Post, come to the Washington Post and cover the nationals. I was Great living job. it's I was living in South Florida. All my family was here, my daughters, my my then wife, uh At the time, uh, we had two daughters in diapers. We had two daughters in diapers. And I knew that that move would probably be bad for them, may be bad for them. And it's like a lot of the times I want to say that a lot of the decisions that I made in my career have always been. How can I do something that is fulfilling to me? Yes, but also is not wrong for my family. You know, that is right for them. That is not wrong for them. It's I extremely mean, tough in this. And and I turned down work. that job. That was one of those inflection points in my life that I, th- I think about, like, what, my, what, my, what would my writing career have been like? But then also, what would my family life have been like? And who knows? So it's like that that is a part of the job that sometimes to move up the ladder, you don't just, you know, you don't leave one bank and go to the other bank down the street. You know, you don't leave like the one investment firm and go to the other mm-hmm. investment firm in New York. Uh, you pick up and leave the state usually, you know? And it's, and that is not an easy part of, of what we do, but, you know, uh, we do it cause we love it. You know, it's certainly not about the dollars. That's for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parts like that. There's the, there's that element too, of like, if you want to do that, what you, how you described it is exactly what it has been for me too, where it's, how can I do a thing that I enjoy that I've never, ever hated going back to after the weekend or whatever? Like, I'm not, I, I. I have gotten a little more sober and clear-eyed about my job than I was when I was 22, 23. Um, but I still enjoy it. It's still not something I ever dread going to. How do I do that and make it work for my family? How do I make sure I'm not, you know, an absentee dad? How do I make sure that we're making enough money that we can live the way we want to live, and you know, my wife can be a stay-at-home mom if she wants to things like that it's it's not an easy needle to thread and people told me that when i started when i was 21 22 and i started in this and just every year you string out of this feels like you're getting away with something yeah that's for sure that's for sure I, I used to when i used when i was writing
4: long features at the Palm beach post like i was getting to do like that writer at large type of job like you know all the yeah. good stories you know that, yeah. that when i was in the features department it always felt like i was like I had found the buffet and I was the last one at it. And I'm just, I'm going to just keep eating until somebody goes, Hey, somebody stop that guy.
3: And that's, <laughs> that's
4: how I approached it, man. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and just enjoyed it as much as I could. Cause I knew at some point, you know, that, that rug was going to get pulled out from under me and then, you know, pivot again, you know,
3: Not to do like, uh, you know, back in the day, here's how things were, but just briefly, <laughs> if you're listening to this, Like you may have never even heard of the Palm Beach Post. It was um, pretty big in its day, in its heyday. Uh, But this is like a mid-sized newspaper in West Palm Beach, Florida, that when we worked there 20 years ago, Carlos. Oh, my legs. That's
4: a good thing I'm sitting down because I got weak.
3: They literally were everywhere the New York Times was. They had full time, full travel, well paid for newspapers, beat writers, on all of the pro teams including hockey in South Florida all of the college teams they had people permanently covering uh, living in Gainesville Florida to cover UF which was um, which was the first big job I got um, they were cover- they had multiple columnists they had you without a job they had you just like hey here we've got this like you know, We've got this extraordinary, like Gary Smith type feature writer. We'll just throw him at like whatever we need. We just we need a we need a, the Heat got Penny Hardaway like late career Penny Hardaway. Let's send Carlos to like get inside his head and write this amazing story. They're sending people to the Olympics. They're sending people to like the French Open tennis tournament, Wimbledon, the Masters. Like they they really were everywhere. And how this went to, gigantic. Went Vegas. It was an amazing place to get to start
4: for me. I went to Vegas for a week. Cause my boss was like, I want to do a story about how the line gets made, how the line in, in different, in different um, sports get made. So they sent me to Vegas for a week to like go visit all the different sports books and talk to all those guys. And it's like, you can spend a lot of money. You can do a lot of, you can do a lot of things in Vegas if you're not married. Uh, so, you know, Russ, if you can get to Vegas, <laughs> mm-hmm. Lord do, we own Vegas. do it for of all of money. us, do it for all yeah. of us do it for the old guys i was in I mean, vegas can I, a little can i holler at I'm, I'm drinking from a latte larry's cup i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a shout out to richard lewis who was one of my favorite mm-hmm. comedians as a teenager growing up and uh when this is being recorded he died earlier today so not to bump things out but richard lewis one of the great comedians that i grew up watching and uh was on the larry david show shout out to richard lewis pour one out although i'm not going to pour out this tea because it's going to make a mess but pour one out to richard lewis I,
3: I appreciate your tribute. I don't know where to go. Uh, that's right. That. We can just, I don't know how to s- let me sir- just, let me circle back. Let me circle back to my original question that I wanted to ask you guys though, because this happened to me the other night and I would imagine this happens all the time, not all the time, but it happens often enough when you travel for sports coverage for work and stuff, you get in late to wherever you're, whatever city you're in. And this can happen even at a good hotel. I'm at a good hotel this week in Indianapolis you get in late and something is not right about the room. It's like midnight. You just want to go to sleep. Do you deal with that right then? Or do you say, I'm going to tough this
2: out, sleep it off, just deal with this in the morning? Um, we're all journalists here, so I have the follow-up. How serious is the issue? Okay.
3: Yes. Um, I didn't think it was that serious at first. It turned out to be something that was intolerable to me. So I was, I was exhausted. Um, just trying to go to sleep. It was about midnight and I like it super cold when I sleep. And, but the, uh, I turned the air conditioning on like maybe half an hour before I was going to go to bed and it hadn't gotten any cooler. And then I, I'm like, it's not that like cool in here. It feels like it the, the thermostat saying it's like, 78, but like I do not want to deal with going down to the front desk, dealing, uh, getting somebody to come up here, repair it or changing rooms because I've already like dumped my stuff all over the place. So I'm like, I'm just going to like lay down and sleep this off and like I'll deal with this in the morning. And then I realized, Russ, the thermostat, not only is it not blowing cold air, I have it set to blow cold air and it's blowing hot air. The temperature is going up. It's mm. getting up over 80. And I'm like, this just, this just isn't going to work. I got to call down. And it ends up being an hour probably total from call to issue fixed. And it can be comfortable in the room and I can go to sleep, but hundred percent worth it because like, I don't think I would have
2: slept. So I imagine from being in hotels, they gave you the option. Do you want us to send somebody up or switch rooms? You chose send somebody up to fix it. I think if I had I think
3: if I had insisted on them switching me rooms, they probably would have. Although every hotel in Indianapolis is ah, completely a, slammed right hard. now. Yeah. And that's the good that's the a rooms the good rooms are going to the people that can afford them, not the sports writers, you know? Yeah. Switch switch good. rooms if you
4: have an option, that's where I'd go. But sometimes you don't have oh, an option. Like true. you said, like sometimes you don't have an option. I, I was. I remember. I was. Um. I was writing there's about the other Marlins. things.
3: There's other things you can run into, though, Carlos. Like besides just, you know, that's a big one to me. But like, you could, you could get in there and like, uh, there's a noise or something. There's like a rattling or, or something. Or you could get in there and like, it doesn't smell quite right. And Smells are huge, man. Because you know, maybe that don't always go I, like, away. Like I don't have anything against uh, people who smoke marijuana, but I don't want my room to smell like that. I don't like if I get into my room. And I, that's like the only thing I can smell. But I will probably just try to sleep through that if it's really late. If so it's work
4: related, if it's work related, I'll tough it out. If it's if yeah. it's like if it's vacation, nah, I got to move. If I'm gonna be here <laughs> for several days, I got to move. But if it's work related, I I mean, I've slept on top of a bed at a Days Inn with my arms crossed like a like a vampire, and was like. Morning will come. Morning will come sooner than I think. I'm just going to not move and close my – I was at a Days Inn in Brandon or Bradenton. I forget which one. Chasing, yeah, some, chasing the number one draft pick of the Marlins who had uh, had drug use and he had kind of fallen off the map. And I was ch- chasing him to try to find him and, and talk to him. He was trying to, like, rehabilitate maybe at a, at a place out at the academy out there. Um, it was, like, a baseball academy that I can't think of out there. Like IMG? Um, IMG? Yeah, it was IMG. So like the only thing nearby was one of those two story days in, where like the 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 top quilt is something out of the Golden Girls, and you walk in and every room smells like it's cleaned by somebody who who talks like this. I just cleaned room the uh, twenty seven B. I just I uh, got the blood spatter, and, and I just and I just I I got in. I was exhausted. I knew there was no other option. I just laid on top of the sheets like Dracula. And just crossed my arms and said, Jesus, <laughs> oh Jesus take, goodness. Jesus take the wheel. And my buddy booked a booked a hotel at Florida for 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 a ball game. My buddy Steve Gordon, shout out to Steve Gordon, who was a sports writer. Oh yeah, I know time. him. Yeah. And uh, and we went up to Florida because he's a huge Gator fan. And I'm like, I hadn't been to a game in a long time. I was like, all right. And he booked us in in a hotel where they clear out the drug users and the sex workers the weekend of the game. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this was told to us by the woman at the front desk who, while we were checking in, got a call on her phone and we could see from it that said um, that said uh, my hubby and underneath it said Florida correctional facility. Like we could read that from where we were. And I was like, this is the hotel where we're staying. So this we go a very Florida story. Yeah. There was in the night there was screaming, there was police, there was noise <laughs> And I am convinced that there was blood spatter on the wall again. Dracula, I'll see you in the morning. And like, and at the first break of light, at the first break of sun, I, I was like, "Hey, Steve, let's get the fuck out of here, dude. This is okay. We've done enough. Like, we spent. It was like spending the night at the Amityville Horror House. Like, if you survive, you win a million dollars. Just try to survive it. Yeah, that's what it felt like. So, uh, you know,
2: I'm flexible. Is what I'm saying. Okay, so you'll mostly tolerate it. Yeah, I'm. I I, I'm. It I'm so I actually had the issue that you had Jason last week when I was in LA. So okay. staying Pasadena. at the Westin in Pasadena, and I came on. That's there, what like, I'm telling you, man. Hotel. It can happen. At, it can happen at nice hotels. I love that hotel, and the air was just not coming on. The benefit was all right. It's warm in here, but I'm in LA in February. I'm just going right. to open the window, right? There's a there's a solution here it's where I can get cool air. And no, it was great. Another like having an air conditioner. The window did open? Oh, cuz lot usually they don't it seems like. Oh yeah, they they opened okay. up to the you know to get the air enough to get the air in and They had the screen and everything. So, I'm like you, I like it really cold at night when I sleep. And so that yeah. that yeah, it was good. This is the I travel episode
4: I, I, of your, of of Sports Adjacent. I think like 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 we've discussed how to yeah. how to accrue Marriott points, uh, what to do if your if your hotel has been uh, someone has been stabbed in it. Uh, like if you're, if, if it's too hot or too cold, like I I feel like this is
2: a really value added episode. I feel like it's a a consumer You're learning a lot. When when we started the pod, I was on the Cubs beat and Jason has been on the Bears beat. Yeah. He's been on the Bears beat since we started the pod. And so I would say over half of our 160 plus episodes, at least one of us has been in a hotel.
3: Yeah, yeah. we this show relies very heavily on hotel Wi-Fi Wi-Fi, which which is working out today. Yeah, Um, I think I kind of I kind of somewhat subscribe to your theory here of like, especially if it's late at night. Now, if I check into a place at three o'clock, this is easy. I've checked into a hotel before uh, and this is when I was covering basketball and you just like, you're up till 2 a.m. and then a lot of times you're on an early flight to the next city. I I got into my hotel in like New York or something and it was in the afternoon and I walked down the hall and before I even got to my room, I heard a baby crying across the hall and I turned around and said, nope. Went right back down to the front desk and said, I I respect these people's right to have a baby, but I didn't bring a baby here. I came here (laughs) for some baby free sleep on the road. so but mostly for work, you know, you, you if it's late or whatever, it's really like it's a, it's an annoyance or something but you put up with it. When you're on vacation though, like when you've planned this and spent money on it and um then it better be perfect. Yeah, me. I
4: will be I will but, be a carrier. I me, will be a carrot, dri- 100%. Yes, if I go on yes. if I'm going to Hawaii and I've spent <clears throat> $5,000 to be there yeah. for 2 weeks or, or the equivalent cuz you know, hotel points. Yeah, uh, there you go. And and I'm I'm I want to see the manager. Like if I'm not getting moved, I, I
3: want to see the manager. I do too. But what drives me crazy is my wife it won't do that. My wife oh. does not. My wife is, I think, too polite. Like she doesn't want to get into it with people. She doesn't want to be a complainer. And there was something uh, years ago. Like the Bears started training. This was coming out of the pandemic, so no one had gotten to travel for a while. And finally, like that summer, things were clearing up a little bit. I guess it must've been 2021 and bears training camp was starting. And I was like, I, I can't go anywhere. I got to do this, but like somebody should get to do something in this house. So I, I set up for my wife and daughters to go to um, Coronado, San Diego. And they stayed at, there's this, there's this really famous historic hotel there. The hotel Dell is like, it's supposed to be amazing. I've never stayed there, but I set them up to stay there. And for like a week or ten days or something, while I was starting training camp, and I called her the next day, like after they'd gotten there, just to see, like, hey, how was it? How, How's everything? Like, I, I'm curious what this hotel's like because it looks amazing. Like this hotel, they they shoot movies there and stuff like that. And she goes, yeah, it was pretty good. And you know, um, there were ants in the room, but you know, whatever. It's, I'm like, what? There were ants in the room? Like I, I would have owned the hotel by the end of the conversation yeah, if there absolutely. were ants in the room. Like, absolutely. What's your room number? Let me write this down. I'm calling I'm calling right now about this. That's
4: right. Put on your blonde on, wig, athlete. your black glasses.
2: Oh, I'm talking yeah. to the manager. Yeah, I'm suing somebody.
4: Can we, t- let's do inside stories. Can we do like inside joke stories? Yeah. All right. Can I share Yeah. You want to, you want to, you want to run it? Go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I have one. You I have hey, one. Hey,
3: listen, before, before we go on though, like don't, you don't need to be like self-conscious. Like this is loose and free and you are literally a talk show host. So like you don't have to like sit back or anything. Like you can let be it a talk. Show host. You, listen, do what you're good I at. I resp- like, I I'm come come thoroughly enjoying house, this show. When
4: I come into someone's house. I I don't say what we're having for dinner. I I bring them a bottle of wine. I am bringing mm-hmm. you my bottle of wine, but you guys are in charge, and I'm not I'm not trying to step on that. So so let's do this. Like Russ, think of like an inside story. I'm going to tell you mine in the meantime. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of talk about Andrew Jones and whether he belongs in the Hall of Fame, and it got me. It was a center fielder for the for the um, the Atlanta Braves who made playing center field look effortless if you watch like as a matter of fact the big knock on him was that he didn't try hard and the thing was that he was like this this galloping palomino that just like with this very smooth gait just got to everything he never looked like he never he made it look easy so andrew jones gets tied up in uh in the in the gold club scandal there was an investigation on the gold club. It was a strip club in uh, in uh, Atlanta that was, um, it became, it was like, it was. there was a big case, right? There was like a big case about whether there was racketeering and whether there was corruption and like, uh, like kind of the shady things that were going on inside the club. You can Google it, gold club Atlanta. What do you mean from- he
3: got caught up in that? Because like, it's well, one be- thing to be like this low level scandal of he was seen at a strip club. But you're talking about like Sopranos level stuff here.
4: Yeah, it was like it was like. Uh, he, I, I don't think he, he didn't do anything wrong, but he was called to testify about the things that he saw, <laughs> and okay. and like and like the way that that uh, that like I, I think players were being lavished, uh, like celebrities were being lavished on, and and what kind of basically he was called to be a witness because he was he was subpoenaed and he had to go testify. So in the course of testifying, uh, that the previous day at the end of previous day, I I, I don't know if he if he had to miss a game to do it, Um, but, you know, he testified that, uh, you know, they, they asked him, uh, Mr. Jones, and uh, did they provide, uh, did they provide uh, women uh, for you to have sex with? And he said, uh, he said, uh, yes. And he goes, uh, how many, he goes, uh, you know, uh, he tells the story that uh, two women approached him and he goes, and and, uh, which one did you have sex with Mr. Jones? And he goes, both of them. And like, it was like a big, thing right you can imagine this was 19 I don't know it was like early 2000s. and the next day he's back in the lineup straight you away say it
3: like we were we were like a Puritan society back then
4: no but I'm like I'm like you know what I mean like that was pre-internet that was pre-internet you know what I mean like that was For the internet time, internet. that was that was pre
3: couple to thruple
4: like like yes. like other newspapers would have to pick it up that's how that went um okay. and they did And so next day, he's in the lineup, first time up to bat. He ropes one, you know, in the deep center, and he's standing up on second. And Skip Carey, the the announcer at the time, you know, God rest his soul, goes, yet another double by Andrew Jones. (laughs) And everyone in on press row has cracked <laughs> up and like looking, you can see into the broadcast booth and Pete Van Weering is dying of laughter. His, his, um uh his, his, I guess you'd call him the straight man, like the the play-by-play guy. And it was just dying of laughter. And that's one of those things. That's a long story to that's explain amazing. that. Like, especially so on a baseball day though. Beat. Yeah. You're on, you're on this baseball beat and you spend so much time around these people. Uh, And, and you can, I mean, I've seen like people almost come to, fistfights in it, you know, opposing beat writers yeah. and things like that. Yeah. It gets pretty hairy, and when there's just like a little moment of that, it's just like, ah, chef's kiss, you know? Thank you. Thank you so much, Skip oh, Carey, man. who's the son of the great uh, um, Harry Carey's, anyway. So, Russ, give me some oh, insight. Give me some Give me some dirt. Give me some dirt that you can share without oh, getting in
3: trouble.
2: Man. Beat that, dirt buddy. I, can. I don't think I can. I don't think beat I can. Beat yet another double think, for I'm, Andrew Jones. I'm trying to think of well... <clears throat> the <laughs> baseball writer. It's a lot of things you find out about. Um I'm going to put this in Tony, I swear, do not put this in there. I <laughs> found out. <laughs> this is found out that is my, that is my baseball dirt.
3: <laughs> That's a pretty oh, good one. You had to sit one. on that story.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm just like, everybody's like, oh, yeah. you getting asked on the radio. What's wrong with no? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Listen, yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, it's well, a baseball, you know, weird game. The ebbs yeah. and flows of the season, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the ebbs <ends laughs> and flows of the season.
1: Uh,
4: I, I was thinking about, as you were telling that story about, like, things that you can't say and things that go on behind the scenes, right, that that never oh, yeah. make that never make coverage, you know? And, um, and it's, and sometimes I want to say that I, I had the, I had, I was lucky to work with real professionals a lot of the times. And, and even people that I covered in baseball, baseball is tough. Baseball writers are tough. Like it's a tough bunch to break into. And I always kind of yeah. felt a little bit on the outside. Um, Honestly, even being, even being Latino, even being a Spanish, native Spanish speaker, like they kind of held that against you. Like, That there was something you were get you were getting that they weren't, and and I got that a lot, and they always felt like I was after their jobs, and I was like, dude, I'm just like I don't want to be a baseball writer forever. You know, that's that's not for me. Like I want a life outside of this. But but so among those things, you know, it's lucky that when you have pros that you deal with who are sensitive to young writers, and not everybody is, especially now. I I don't know what it's like, but I was I was in a clubhouse with. Greg Maddox, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, Tom Glavin, uh, John Smoltz, like these yeah. these these people were not just great about, at their jobs, they were they were gentlemen. They were like, you know, really like yeah uh, good guys. Maddox? Even Maddox? Oh man. Maddox was like spiny, like a little bit. Isn't, spiny. isn't
3: the book on Maddox that he was gross? He was. He was, yeah, but well, that made you a bad but, guy.
4: But he was he was self-aware of it. He was self-aware uh, of okay. it. Like All I'll right. never I'll never forget walking into the walking into the clubhouse one day, and Maddox is walking around without a shirt on. And Maddox looks like your dad. You know, it looks like
3: yeah. the proverbial yeah.
4: American dad. And he looked like that at his prime. Like he was yes. soft in the middle. And like, how does this man How is this man like I voted for him for the Hall of Fame first ballot? I mean, like the guy would get finish a game another in under under two hours without large bases. And he was one uh, of my favorite players when I was a kid. So he walks into the clubhouse and he's, I mean, I I walk into the clubhouse and he's shirtless, you know, Mm -hmm. and his belt's open and he's just, he's kind of like a, it's like a, a, a a plastic, a white plastic garbage bag full of meat (laughs) is like his physique. (laughs) And he, and he walks over to a table
3: of It's good, because I was looking for a title for this episode, but go on. Good. So he walks over to a table full of
4: donuts. And Maddox is a, an aficionado of, or was, of the Krispy Kreme donuts. And he walks in, and there's boxes of Dunkin' Donuts. He reaches in, he grabs one, and he tosses it back in and goes how do they expect us to play like champions if they won't feed us like champions? And I was like, (laughs) I just locked that away. That just, that just created a little, a little, a little, uh, what do they call it? What do the kids call it now? A core memory, core memory, core core memory. But it was like guys like that, that like, that let me learn, you know, like I was, um, so his catcher, so Maddox was, was famous or infamous
3: for having eddie perez as his catch yeah so i i i I grew up watching the braves even though i grew up in chicago and i grew up a white Sox fan the braves were always on tv because of tbs and they were so good during my childhood like if you want to talk 90s braves i know all these guys that you're talking about i know about the javi lopez eddie perez all that i'm totally dialed into this go on so uh, uh, Javi Perez, Russ, if, if you don't know the background of this, which is fine because you shouldn't,
4: uh, but like Javi Perez was like Eddie this. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Javi Lopez. Javi, Javi Lopez. Lopez. Javi yeah. Lopez, it was, it was, Javi Lopez was, was
3: their main guy. Was Amazing. their main guy,
4: and he had a really good stick. Like the guy mm-hmm. – I mean the guy was a was really an elite catcher, like uh, defensively, and he, he had a good stick, man. The guy could really hit. But for some reason that was never explained to me, like it was never understood – Eddie Perez was his preferred catcher. I don't know why. I don't know if there was beef there. I really don't know the story. I don't know if he's ever told it. But Eddie Perez, I'm a first year on the beat, like as a backup. I think I had taken over one, like one day to write. And I'm, you know, kind of like sitting in the dugout and Eddie Perez is there. And I was, and he had had a really good game, like when Maddox uh, was pitching. And then he goes back on the bench. Like the guy only plays. Every four days, like when Mattis, or every five days, whenever. Mattis. I remember this. It was the only time he would play. And I asked him and I was like, doesn't that, doesn't that bother you? And he's like, and he went on to say something like, yeah, this is a really, this thing really bothers me and whatever. And I, and I wrote it the next day. I wrote it like uh, as a sidebar or a lead note or some kind of thing. And he had told me that in confidence and i being young was like i took it like uh, i'll write it this this is news this is like news or whatever and um and he came up to me the next day and he's like man i told you that in confidence and you really like let me down and and i felt i felt so bad i felt so um like i had misstepped and like it's so easy to just get the door closed on you in a baseball locker room and that I went to Bobby Cox and I said uh, that um, I th- I said, Hey, uh, you know, um, Bobby, you know, I, can I talk to you for a minute? And he's like, Hey, you know, I was like, yeah, sure. Come on in. And, and I was like, listen, I wrote this and, and, and all those guys say that they don't read anything. And the fact is, is they read everything,
3: everything, everywhere, everywhere, oh, yeah. everything. That's the That's the biggest lie in sports is that I don't, I don't know what people are writing about me. He had already read it? He had already talked
4: to Eddie about it? There had already been I'm sure some meeting like somebody talked to somebody to like make sure like are we cool. And I went in and I was like, "Look, I just I wanted to apologize cuz I feel like he was letting off steam and he said something in in confidence that he like was not he didn't really I mean and I I may have taken it out of context." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." He's like, I, he's like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And like, whatever. And, uh, and he's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get ready. I gotta get ready. And I went and I left like, like that I had escaped this thing and that they had looked around and said, this is a young, no nothing guy. And whether I came in to apologize or to like kind of clear the air or approach that topic, I think that it meant something. I don't know. Yeah. But those are things that like, you can't learn like in everything in life, you can't learn until you've, until you stepped in it. And then like, you yeah. have to figure out how are you going to react after that? You know? Yeah. So needless to say, it's, it stayed with me.
3: So obviously one of, one of the things that I find most interesting about Carlos Frias's career is that he changed from being a sports writer to a food writer. Can I call you a food critic? Is that? Yeah. You know what? Not, do you not like that term or? Well, no, you know what? There's, uh, I should say that there's kind of. It makes you think thing. of the, the mean guy in Ratatouille.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, that guy, to his credit, he had Ego. good food. He didn't care that it came from a rat and, <laughs> and he gave it props. Uh, I mean, they shut the restaurant down as they should. So that that part is all that, tra- all that. There's track. That. Right. All that tracks,
3: but no. I have you, ever see, have you ever seen? Have you guys ever seen the Key and Peel skit where they would do a ratatouille? I got a ratatouille. A <laughs> no. hey, ratatouille. Go make my friend a sandwich. <laughs> the sandwich has like bites out of it and little like rat pellets on top of it. Yeah, that's that sounds. That's the
4: more. That's the documentary of ratatouille. <laughs> right.
3: that's behind the scenes of ratatouille. Behind the
4: scenes. Uh, no, but so like, there's two jobs. There's the, the the critic that tries to stay anonymous for the most part. You know, as and now and not, anonymity is doesn't exist. So like critics that just review restaurants, they're fewer and far between because it's it's a luxury to just have that job where you're going to spend mm-hmm. thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands on meals um, over the year, over the course of a year, uh, going to many different places and whatever, um, for just for that job. And then separately, beyond that, there's like a food writing job. So which means like what? So like you, you use food as like the Trojan horse To tell stories about people and that's kind of what i did that tracked that that spoke to me right Um, okay yeah that sounds like that's like right in your zone yeah i mean sometimes i did food criticism but it was like so here's what we did like i would make a reservation under a fake name you know uh i would show up at the restaurant unannounced like uh, if i could make a reservation i would show up unannounced you know, and because they'll they're gonna make you within a minute. I mean, there's there's no hiding it. I mean, unless mm-hmm. the place is like a barbecue, pl- like a place a barbecue place, that brisket took 15 hours to make. You cannot fake whether that's good or bad. Right. You know right. what I mean? But uh, they might give you the better piece of it. You know. So like the idea of criticism is is um, it's tenuous and it's you don't see it as much. Um, but but the idea of like telling people stories, like I would go, like I would hear about a place that was interesting. And that maybe it had an interesting story tied to it. But first, like, oh, I've heard about this place being good. And I would go quietly and I would just eat there. And then and then I would decide, oh, like, okay, this food is, is really good. Like, this was a really unique or different experience. Maybe it's a taco place. Maybe it's whatever. And then, like, if I like the food, then I would be like – I'd go up to the person and be like, hey, I write – Hi, I'm Carlos Frias. I'm the food editor of the Miami Herald. And I love the food that I had. And I just, I would love to know more about you and your restaurant. And like, if their story was good, like it's then, then it's like, everybody has a story, right? So like, you want it, like you try a place you try a place, think this is amazing. You want to steer people here. Ultimately, like that, that was my, my joy was steering people to places that were good. Like now my fiance hates that because I ruin places that we like. And all of a sudden they (laughs) get, they get very busy. But like, then I can be able to use that, like come have the great food and then like feel good about the story behind it. And like that, that appealed to me, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I tried to focus on.
3: I did kind of what you described once by accident. And it was like one of my favorite experiences ever at a restaurant. There's this pizza place in Atlanta called Antico, uh, which People that know Atlanta usually know it's kind of by Georgia Tech. Um, It's not the place, Atlanta's not a place many people would think of as like that they would have this great pizza there. Um, But I went there kind of by accident. I was there for maybe the SEC tournament or something and just went to like a nearby pizza place. And I was late on a Saturday and it's, it's authentic Italian, authentic like in terms of even the way the restaurant is set up. So you Order at a counter and then there's this like cafeteria style seating slash the kitchen. It's all one room. Long tables. It's like eating together with strangers. So I order my pizza, I sit down in there, and I'm just like waiting, seeing more and more people come in, get their pizza, leaving. It's starting to get late, and I haven't gotten a pizza and it's emptying out. And someone that works there notices like something's off about this. Like, why is this guy just sitting here waiting, waiting, waiting? it turns out that guy's the owner. That's the guy that founded it. He comes over, he asks me what's going on. Like, how long ago did you place your order? What's the deal? And he's like appalled that this has been mishandled. And he's like, I'm going to go make it right now for you myself. So he makes it by this point, by the time he brings the pizza back, the whole place is cleared out. So this guy sits with me while I eat and like tells me the story of his restaurant and how They're from Italy and he's explaining how they make everything and how important the authenticity is. He's like, we brought these ovens over from Italy. He's said, we bring everything over from Italy except the air. We bring the water over to make the dough. We're that hardcore about it. And it became one of my favorite restaurants in the country. The food's excellent. If this guy had never taken two seconds to talk to me, the pizza is amazing. The pizza's excellent at Antico in Atlanta. But knowing all that, it could have been a experience. It
4: could have been a terrible well, experience, right? Because it- you were waiting forever. I went like, man, I went to this place. It I sat have. there for two hours and, yeah. and I left and I didn't eat food, you know? And that's interesting. That could have gone it totally ends up a being different more way.
3: Than a, it ends up being more than a dining experience because you get all of this, like, richness and detail and depth to your eating experience. And it strikes me that, like, that's basically what you were doing when you were food writer you're kind of doing basically like food storytelling or restaurant storytelling i mean there's people's stories behind all of these dishes and restaurants that you like um while you while you didn't go from like sports writing to uh you know i don't know being a lumberjack or something that does feel like a real pivot in a career and it got me thinking russ like someone who has a unique career like this like carlos frias it made me want to ask you what else you think you would be good at besides sports media?
2: Yeah, so I I wrote a list of things that I thought I'd be good at if I decided one day. I don't like really? doing this, or as our business goes. Hey, you don't do. We this don't like anymore. you, <laughs> right? Like right. that's the way our industry works. Love the game. Um, the game doesn't love you back. Right. Oh, no. uh, so one of the things I have uh, right on top of the list: attorney. So for whatever reason, I always thought that I was going to be a lawyer, mostly because I like to argue. Me and my brother argued all the time. You get to that age where you like arguing with your parents, like attorney on the list, uh, chef slash uh, baker. Like I love food is one of my favorite things in the world. I used to be fat. So like food is amazing. Oh, can I, can I, before you continue, can I show you my list?
3: Yeah. On the screen. It's, it's like one thing. What does it say? It says it's two things. One is law. Number two is chef.
2: That's why we're friends.
4: Yo, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to stop you guys right here. Like I I'm picturing the legal chef, te- the legal team of Dorsey and leisure. Yeah. restaurant.
3: This restaurant, <laughs> we'll call it Legal Seafood. <laughs> yeah, and again. that's your first lawsuit. That's
2: that's insane <laughs> that we both had the same two things to start. I, I, uh, those are the only two things I wrote down. Lawyer, I- chef, I have sommelier, bartender, okay. and then uh, doing stand-up as a comedian. Oh, okay. Oh, That's like, scary. I, that's
3: the scariest of the five. Of all of those... <laughs>
4: Of all the those, the one that speaks to me is bartender because I always thought that like my alternate career might have been as a as like a therapist. Like I always okay. yeah, I always felt like I, I love hearing people's stories and I love to like let them hearing people talk through their own life and kind of reconsidering things uh years later or months or weeks, days later, you know, kind of reconsidering the life. Yeah. I don't know. I I found something very interesting about that. But then every therapist I know is is uh is tormented by what they hear so i was like I,
3: you know maybe it's well, it's to, better to just right, walk away you have to you have to be like that if you're gonna be a bartender i think i don't think you can be a bartender and be like no i'm just about the work i'm just about the craft and you're <laughs> right. like no people try to talk to me and i'm like no no i got a great this cinnamon or i gotta i gotta peel this orange rind no
1: i
2: gotta muddle these oranges right. <laughs> No, I'm that not, guy's,
3: this is, that guy's you know, called a mixologist
4: my- and you and nobody likes him <laughs> He's got he's got a waxed he's got a waxed curly cue mustache. Yep. He probably has like suspenders or that garter thing that you wear on the sleeves, right? To hold the sleeves up. And his uh and his work area kind of looks like a salad bar. Nobody likes that guy. Don't be a mixologist. Be a bartender. <laughs>
2: That's I, my and it's, I think it's so like the idea of like you meet so many cool bartenders. Like I've met some of the coolest bartenders in the world at Mm -hmm. airports, right? Or you just go to some dive bar or a restaurant that has a really good bartender and you get to meet people, which I love to do. You get to, you know, be outgoing, which I am. And then like, it just seems like such a fast paced fun. You're making beverages that people enjoy and can enjoy in groups together while they're out and about. It just seems like the coolest job in the world if I'm not thinking, uh, oh, how can I take care of myself? It's like, you know what? I want to make people happy with my beverages.
4: I like that. I like that. Although there's a lot of drug and alcohol abuse in the in that industry, so that's not great. Not it's great.
3: not but great. <laughs> that's not the Outside best. Outside that, and in but many the other industries as well. But the people. But the people. I yeah. think you would be a good lawyer because you I, – I picture you as like the lawyers you see on TV where it would be like this theatric compelling opening Orador. statement or closing statement yeah, or a real dramatic question turn or something like that. I can Russ, see that. Yeah, I can see Russ doing that. I went I, to school originally to do law. I went to Tulane because I wanted to go to their law school and I wanted to get my degree in political science and then – Go to law school there. And I decided my first year, I just thought that sports media was going to be more fun. Probably not as lucrative, but more fun. And I'd be happy. Um, but I think I'd be i l lo- I'd be a good lawyer for like for not not as impressive of reasons. I would be, I would be really good at being like meticulous about the rules and like looking at everything in black and white. And saying no this statute determines this this statute determines this like things about my personality that i'm working to try to fix at 40. that
4: no that's a good that's the lawyer that i want to hire i don't want i don't want the theatrical <laughs> lawyer <laughs> i want i want the guy with the with the receipts that's that's the guy
2: i want paragraph two subsection c says you want that guy
4: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh, exactly
3: but
2: russ will be out there Jason. and he'd
3: be like so therefore does it not mean that at 6 45 p.m., you Confused were. Word talent. Yes. In the ballroom, were you not? And the guy'd be like, no, I wasn't rushing like, oh, <laughs> Were you no, not? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Really? So, oh. no. Uh, I thought for sure you were going to
2: confess. Jason, you don't give yourself enough credit because I have seen you and I talk about it on the podcast all the time. You are in the room with these head coaches who are clearly lying. And you're like, but, well, you just said last week. And then they answer. They're like, but what, which one is it? Is it this or is it that? Because you said both, and they both can't be true. And, they, and then you got them, see? And I'm like, that's the Jason Jason Leisure attorney at law right yep. there.
3: Yeah, It is like court. It is like court, Carlos, when you're covering um, bad teams. It was not like court covering like Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley, but it is like court when you're covering bad teams that want to tell you it's not so bad. It's not as bad as it looks. Trust us. Trust us. I think I would have trouble as a chef, even though I would like that. If you told me right now, like my financial situation wouldn't change and I would have the time to go to culinary school and it wouldn't cost me anything. I wouldn't like nothing about any of my like lifestyle would change financially. It's like you'd have the freedom to do it. I would want to do that because I love food. I love the creativity of it. But Carlos, I have you met any chefs? that are good in your time as a food writer that are extremely picky eaters, because I feel like that's going to be a narrow menu if I'm in charge of
2: it.
4: Yeah, no, that's uh, chefs. Chefs learn to eat uh, everything and not all of them like go into it like, oh, I adore eating pig's liver. Like uh, that's and that that's my
3: that's my, you know, my hard no. See, I think I could eat something like that, but I don't think I could eat peanut butter.
4: I'm just going to let that sit
3: there.
4: I'm just going to let that sit there. I hope you have an allergy. I mean, I also don't love peanut butter. I also, I mean, I guess this is the peanut butter show. I also don't love peanut butter. I will eat it.
3: Same. Oh man, fuck peanut butter is what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Okay.
3: That's another contender for the the title of of the the episode. Yeah, sure.
2: Carlos, you are a food critic. We're going to call you. We've decided. Okay. Give me. Even after he objected, people, we're going to call him a food I, no, critic. No, we're gonna, I, I. He's our food critic. He's the sports adjacent. Oh, food. he's now
4: a food critic. Okay. Ooh, put that. I need that. I need that right here in the yeah. screen. Right, right here, there. Right, here. right there. You've been hired sports to a position you did not apply yet. for.
3: Right. Um, <laughs>
2: or being paid
3: for. It pay, I paid oh, in yeah. sheets.
1: I'm paid in sheets.
2: <laughs> you are paid in sheets. <laughs> I'm okay yes. with that. Yes. Yes. People will probably often ask you the best foods that you have had, right? But I need you to give us the worst. Yes. Bad. Yes.
3: Yeah. Give us something mm. horrible
4: that you. Horrid ate. food. <sighs> wow, this is a tough one because there is like scary food that I would. If you had told me at twenty, like, "Hey, you're gonna really, you're gonna really love." like mashed duck liver like duck liver pate like Mm -hmm. someone's gonna tell you like you're gonna really like this i would have told you at 20 like that's horrible that's disgusting and i and like i've learned to like i honestly i can tell you i've learned to like everything i mean there have been foods that i've eaten i'm like this this chicken turned you know what i mean this chicken has turned the oil in this thing is rancid like something has gone bad like when when food has gone bad that's 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 what I what is memorable to me. Like, oh, I shouldn't finish eating this, or I'm gonna pay for it later. Uh, and so is the Miami-Dade County Water and Sewer uh, System. <laughs> but but like as far as like scary things, man. Like you know, I, like I, I've not I've had just about everything, and I'm even like like pig liver is still tough for me. Liver is tough. Tongue is tough. I know people mm-hmm. love tongue. Mm-hmm. I have not had nah, it. be prepared. tough. Man. That'd be tough to do. Yeah. Organ meat. Here's what I'm gonna say: Organ meat is tough. Yeah. That's the that's the uh, that's the final boss in in food writing. <laughs> the final boss is organ meat, like uh, various uh, innards. Yes. Now, like the closest that I've come to, it, I was like, oh, I really enjoy this. Is like uh, what they call sweetbreads, which is not mm-hmm. sweet and it's not bread. It's uh some it's it's either parts of the brain or glands of mm. of uh, of calf, and uh, it sounds horrible, but if done correctly, it's Super tender. It's just, it's like, it's kind of like shrimp texture. Okay. And, but kind of, but tastes like, kind of like beef. So, like beef with the texture of shrimp. I know it sounds odd, but uh,
3: you come around, but like, I would try it if I had to. If I was like at somebody's house, I would try. Like, I could try a bite of that before I could eat a scoop of peanut butter. So, I would try it. (laughs) But it doesn't sound good.
4: It's uh it's it can be done right and you if they don't tell you what it is and you eat it you're like oh it's a, it's a really tender part of the cow all right well okay that sounds good but uh but yeah no I haven't I haven't uh I have not while doing the job I never spit food out like that was that was a thing that I couldn't approach so I think that's I think that speaks well for Miami I think that you know also my dad can I just say my late dad who was an amazing dude um an old country farmer And I'm convinced that my dad, because he had it the hard way his whole life, that he also liked eating food the hard way. So he would eat the whole fish deep fried, you know, and then which people love. But he would skim through the bones and just suck every last little bit. He would crack the head open and eat the eyeballs and the brain. He was like, oh, this is the best part. He would make a big stew and he would do it with chicken, with chicken, with bone in. So like when you're serving a plate of the stew, you got to eat around the bone. He's like, no, but the bone is what gives it the flavor. And he's right, but it's he's also right. the the harder way. And like, he always ate food the harder way. So I, I learned to appreciate firsthand, like the hard way to eat food and it's, you know, and finding really like the, the delicious silver lining
2: in it. So that's that all right that's that was definitely a person who has made food their life answer but i but i i i loved it and i think a lot of people value that all right the best i could tell you i could tell you the crazy things i've eaten
3: that i didn't that i had a problem with were not Peanut like butter? that they were they were not that crazy it was like one time i was at somebody's house and it was a house with like a family. This wasn't like people that maybe had all the time to be devote themselves to be chefs. There was pancakes for dinner. And uh, there were some like runny pancakes that I choked down to be polite. And man, I spent all night tossing yeah. and turning. Let me tell you, that.
4: that's that's where the salmonella is. People don't know runny, that. The fl- runny pancakes. The flour is what contains salmonella. That's what makes people sick. So eating, eating bread or flour products that aren't cooked all the way through miami-dade county water and sewer they're gonna know
3: they're gonna (laughs)
2: know
3: a few years ago i ate some uh like pulled pork that had been in the fridge too long and i learned my lesson from that i because i threw up so violently that one my kids thought i was yelling at them (laughs) And two, I burst a blood vessel in my eye. My eye was red for like Jeez. a week. And now, Russ, anything that's even close, I'm just like, nope. You got to toss Out. it. Toss Out. it. Out. It is Out not worth yeah. it. Wife, my wife will be like, we had, but that's been in the fridge for like two days. I'm like,
4: nope. Did you have the moment where you smelled it and you're like, hmm, not sure, but let's give it a shot. Remember, or, or was I it like, exactly oh, this what smells I was good. This, this tastes
3: great. Or was there a moment where you're like? Something I think it must, okay. right. it must have seemed okay. It must have seemed okay because I don't like eat out of the trash can, so like I, I think I would have known this doesn't smell rancid. But what happened was I was like, I was like, I ate it, and I was very quickly I was not feeling good. I was sitting out on the couch watching the NCAA tournament, and I was like, mm, I need to lay down. Oh. And then I went and lay, I went in my room, lay down on my bed, Start? and I was like, mm, this ain't doing it either. I need Tums. I'm gonna get some Tums. Throw down some Tums. See if that settles it. Nope. And then I was like, "Yep, it's go time." Yeah, it's coming
2: back. This happened. This is happening yeah. right now.
3: Thoughts Carlos and prayers. Right
2: though, like you, you usually know. You're like, well, you have to have the pause of, hmm. Throw it away.
4: There's always a moment. Yes. There's always a moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When that chicken Wait, if, eat that chicken that's been in there a couple of days, and you're like, and it's got a je ne sais quoi.
2: <laughs> but it tells <laughs> you, it warns you,
4: don't if take every bite.
2: Forty five degree head turn. You know, <laughs> right. you probably shouldn't eat
3: it. Yeah, As, uh. I mean, I I get sick. Like I get sick from eating, you know, rancid pork. Carlos is out here trying, you know,
2: pureed wild boar testicles and things like never, that. Never, never spitting something out is like that. Might be the most impressive thing he said whole show. That that is <laughs> like that, that is. is oh my goodness
3: that's like fear factor stuff right there yeah 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 listen
4: i grew up up watching my dad like roast a pig like we went to the slaughterhouse he picked the poor bastard out they took him in the other room (laughs) it was one time i saw him i saw the pig like killed and i stays with me like like and like eddie perez it stays with me and then we brought and then we came home and. And then it's mar- you marinate it with it splayed in your house over, Blade you know, out. splayed out. And then you roast that guy. And once
3: you've seen that, like, you know, the scales yeah. fall Nothing off of your bothers- eyes. <laughs>
2: Nothing else bothers you. <laughs> exactly. I like a
3: pig roast, but I, I want to come in about halfway through that whole process you just no described. At the end.
4: At the end. Like, they uncovered. Yeah. Voila. Maybe three no quarters of the way through.
3: Mm. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah the magic can, I'm full splayed out because that's it's going to look like that just cooked. But yeah. anyway, before y'all got it.
3: I like the part where it smells good and pretty soon that'll put me put on my plate and look like I got it from a restaurant.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Stick
3: with that. Russ, let's do the news. We actually don't talk a lot of sports or especially football on the show, but I have some football news that I think you're going to find interesting today. Um, The NFLPA does an annual report card where it surveys its players on a lot of things. And this is important. Um, because they ask him about everything from, does the head coach manage your time well? Does the owner invest money in the facilities? Is Are, are there enough trainers or are there like five trainers there to work on 90 people and you got to wait in line for the training room and things like that? And I, I got to like, before I get into some of these objections and issues that were raised in the NFLPA report card about some teams, and I love that it's very specific. So we know exactly what the problems are and with which teams. Here's a disclaimer. These are super super first world problems. Yeah. However, they're very valid in my mind in a multi-billion dollar physically brutal business. Like if you if you worked somewhere else, that what if you didn't work if you were not a professional athlete, but you worked somewhere else where, you know, typically the minimum that somebody like you would get paid is like 2 million dollars a year. You have a reasonable expectation of how you're going to be treated at work. Um, Twelve teams do not provide a family room at the stadium on game days. So like a place for your wife and kids and whoever else to hang out. Most teams do. The Bears do. Um, Most sports teams do, I think, in general. You see that at almost any arena or stadium you go to. Seven NFL teams. This this I can't believe. This is maybe not even something that you need a disclaimer on. Seven NFL teams, Russ, make at least some of their players share a hotel room as roommates on the road. Nah, no, no. Seven, nope. about a quarter of the league. Nope. I work at a newspaper and I don't even have to do that. No. Like that's my wrong. my teammate is here in Indianapolis and we're not, you know, we're not in some stepbrothers room with bunk beds.
4: Absolutely, that's low bad. class. Those people got to be called on the carpet. Don't they don't, they don't say which the seven are? Can we guess?
3: Um, no, I know I could have looked up which seven they are. Okay. I, I have one of them that I'm going to tell you about in a minute. Um, I mean, Russ said he wouldn't share room with me if we like went on a trip.
2: One that Carlos, come on. And we're just normal people. We're just normal people. We're no, not and we're multi- yeah, and we're, we're, peanut, dollar, we're peanut butter. Brothers. We're, you're at right, the peanut butter brothers. We're the, we're we're no peanut
3: shot. butter
4: brothers, and we're not we're not doing that. Nope. No shot.
3: No. So the composite rankings here, if if you watched Hard Knocks with the Miami Dolphins, this might not surprise you. The composite rankings of the grades, the Dolphins were number one, followed by the Vikings, Packers, Eagles, and Jaguars at five. The Jaguars moved way up from 2023. The Bears were 10th, so not bad. I mean, it was funny, though, to see, like, as the Bears writer, that there are, like, a lot of complaints about the quality of food. Like, the food's not very good in the cafeteria. That's kind of surprising to me that a $6 billion organization – uh, in one have of the great food, food.
4: country, and one of the great
3: food cities in the country, right? right? Um, yeah. That feels like very uh, unimportant compared to some of these other ones. The Chiefs, for example, uh, worth four point three billion dollars. By the way, the Chiefs players gave their owner an F minus for wow. willingness to invest in the facility, and the issue that the uh, the specific issue I think that is causing a problem uh, that J.C. Treader, the union president, brought up today in Indianapolis was that the owner has been promising to build them a new locker room, that they need a totally remodeled locker room. And I've actually been to their locker room in the last few years, and it does look kind of old and outdated and nothing compared to like what you see at Soldier Field and certainly not the new stadiums like SoFi or Minnesota or wherever. Uh, But the reason that they have not done it is uh, uh, allegedly because the team keeps going too deep into the playoffs. There's not enough time in between the end of one season and the start of the next season to remodel the locker room. Now I'm a couple can tell by the the, F minus grade that the players are too. Yeah. It's like, listen,
4: Taylor Swift is in the building. Yeah. But you got to take it to another level. Take it to another level. We can't like Tay-Tay is not going to be in, in some janky, you know, non-family room. No, no. We got to, like, we're, we're in the Taylor
3: era. You got to bring that up. as well. You got to do more than just like lint roll the couch, you know? Yeah, come on. Um, six teams gave their owner a D plus or worse. And really that score is mainly about uh, willingness or unwillingness to invest in the facility. And like cheap owners drive me crazy because I feel like there are tons of people that want to own teams but can't, that have the money to and they can't like they they just can't get one because they're not always they're not frequently available. Right. You shouldn't be in this if you don't want to dump money everywhere. That's what this is for. This is not I mean I know it is an investment, but this shouldn't be treated like this like that. This is a toy. This is like you get a car and you put a spoiler on it and you do like you this is a place to be a crazy billionaire. Tit, so don't come rails. in here. Don't come in here and be like saving the bacon grease and stuff like that to use tomorrow. Yeah. Um the the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers are worth four point two billion dollars and got an F for travel. Listen to this. When they fly, there are first class seats on the plane. And picture the size of some of the largest football players on a the team. There are first class seats on the plane, but they are taken by staff, not given to players. What? Wait, That's wait a minute. They're flying commercial? No, they're flying like a uh they're flying like a commercial. Jet. like a charter. Flying like a like a delta jet but it's chartered it's not for that. like you could buy a ticket on it yeah but they're so not connecting like the, in atlanta so
4: the staff is up front the staff making like you know that's what the you know, NFL and the, NFL the video guy up front is is uh while you know while patrick mahomes yeah. is at that, no that's our, you, you got you know
2: you got now. baker mayfield and mike oh, evans right. in middle right. seats Right, no, that That's
3: ain't great. right. JC Treader was saying, and I I would never be able to conceive of what it'd be like to be this size. He's like the biggest players on some of these teams. If they are in the back of the plane, they're standing probably for the flight. They're probably not cramming themselves oh, into boy. a seat. That is not the craziest thing about the Buccaneers, though. So, quote unquote younger players. So I don't know if this means rookies exclusively, or if this means like anyone maybe on a rookie deal or something like that. But quote younger players must pay the team one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars per season if they want their own hotel room on the road. Come on, man! Come on, Otherwise, man! the rooming. The rooming. That's, that's
4: one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars. That's like that's like my health insurance coming out of my paycheck a
3: month. Like, give me a give me a break. Like, you're that's making billions there. of dollars at a four point two billion dollar company. That's that's weak. The Bengals – now, keep in mind, the Bengals are the least valuable team in the league. They're only worth $3.5 billion. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. That's hard. Uh, The Bengals – the NFLPA went after them last year for not serving their players three meals a day in the facility, breakfast, lunch, dinner. When they're there, like, pretty much all day, players are usually in very early. So, the Bengals improved that by – now they do that, but only on Wednesdays. Oh, but – why Wednesday? What's special going about halfway, Going halfway on something like this, like the Bucks saying, "Well, you can have your own room if you pay for it," or the or the Bengals saying, "We'll do three meals a day, but only on Wednesdays." That's worse. Like it's like they're owned by being, Wendy's. Like, it's like they're owned by Wendy's.
4: They're gonna do surge pricing on like, oh well, you know, uh, everybody everybody's in this team meeting today, so it's gonna be surge pricing on our hamburgers today. Sorry, right. guys.
3: That's, terrible. That's crazy. Um, lastly, the Cleveland Browns. You knew they'd come up. You knew that would have to be in this somewhere. They are worth 4.6 billion dollars, but players were upset about the treatment of their families because of two things. One, the post-game family meetup area is a tent in the parking lot. Nah, come on. And as like that's bad anywhere, but that's especially bad December, January, in Cleveland. And secondly. Uh, Early in the season, this apparently changed eventually, but early in the season, players said that uh, players who were carted off the field during a game with a significant injury were not allowed to call their wife or family or friends or somebody to let them know that they're fine.
4: That seems like a that seems like a dumb rule. And I got I got to say, right, like we've covered lots of different sports. We've dealt with every union. The NFLPA is like embarrassingly weak. Like there's a lot of things that like they should, that, that it's, it stuns me that the NFL players union is not stronger than it is. Like, yeah. Like something like, yeah. I mean, like the NBA players union, the the baseball players union, like I, I it stuns me that after all these years, maybe it's just the, dis, the distaste of, of, you know, upsetting. Cause I mean, football fans, you know, sports fans in general is that have no tolerance for athletes as human beings, which is true. Yeah. Uh, and so like, you know, when you start talking about things, it's, you know, they start, what are these guys complaining
3: about? Making They're always dollars? pro management. They're always on the side of the billionaires. Yeah, it's, it, which is strange to me, I guess, because, you know, they don't uh, realize yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this guy's got a
4: $40 million contract. Yeah. One year is guaranteed where he's making $2 million and then he's out. And then, you know, let that last you the rest of your career. I, You know, it's just the right. weakest union in sports. And I, I never understood. I never understood why. I don't
3: know. Russ, speaking of athletes as human beings, one of if not your favorite basketball player, Damian Lillard was uh, talking to Sports Illustrated. It's still technically around, um, about how sad his life is in Milwaukee outside of basketball. I think he likes how the basketball thing's working out and they're uh, like maybe getting better. But he says this to Sports Illustrated uh, that he, he's moved to Milwaukee without his family. Now, granted, he asked for this, like he Mm -hmm. wanted to be traded out of Portland after what, 10 years, something like that. He says, quote, being away from my kids is tough. In Portland, my life was set up. My mom was down the street. My brother was the other way down the street. My sister was down the street. My kids were in school. My whole life was set up perfectly right there. It was a great situation. So leaving that behind is a lot. And then you add the basketball side to it and it is what it is. He continues and says he's, he's quote, definitely lonely being in Milwaukee by himself and that his life is basically like practice, video games, and just YouTube on his phone. He says, quote, my life is my family. After games, I would come out and my whole family would be there. My kids coming out of the playroom. My mom, my brother, my cousins live there. You know what I mean? My best friends live in Portland. So I would come out and we would go to dinner. They might come to my house. I might go to my mom's house and chill after practice. That's how my life was. So I'm fine because I'm grown, but it's definitely lonely.
2: It's sad, man. It is. I appreciate him being honest, but uh, yeah, like, and, and think about it this way. He's right in the sense of if you're not going to move everybody out to you, you got to do that thing solo. But like Portland, is not like Chicago to Milwaukee? It's not a 90 minute drive up a highway no. that is at the tip of the other side of the country and you are next to lake michigan in milwaukee and it's also a guy like if we're just talking about like real life issues going through divorce too so like that i could understand how this first year with all these things kind of meeting is tough for him
4: yeah i think i think that you know i mean let's talk about people as people right like He's dealing with some difficult things. And it's true. Yeah. Being away from your family is if when you're a family person, that's hard. When you're a family man, you have a family. That's hard. And the money doesn't make it better. The money doesn't yeah. like, oh, I'll just go to the ATM and I'll withdraw $10,000 and I'll just hug it in bed on my <laughs> yeah. sheets and giggles sheets.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> you're, it's funny the way you said it, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, there's no comfort in the money is not a comfort then. You know, um, and, you know, like, I'm sure he might have picked up his whole family, moved them if he wasn't going through those those significant family issues, you know. So I I have real empathy for him. And I think that, like, I think that everybody at some point takes another job hoping that it'll be better. Uh, Like you have it maybe pretty good or good or something, but you know that it can be be better. Some things can be better. And you take a shot and then things don't turn out exactly how you hope. Mm-hmm. Or or, it's, or adjusting is difficult, difficult, you know, you got a crazy boss. You know what I mean? Like you go through all so the many, second guessing, Yeah, all the second guessing, it's gotta be difficult. So I, I feel for that. I feel for that. And I, I feel more for guys that get traded in the middle of the season. I feel a lot more for those guys um, who
3: don't yeah. really have that much of a say in it. Um, yeah. He kind of somewhat at least engineered this. I mean, there's a lot of guys that this just gets dropped in their lap and you know, that might happen to them. If they're not a star player, that might happen to them multiple times in their mm-hmm. career.
4: And but what I was about they're not home. They're not home that often, though. Like, th- if the sports writers are traveling that much, so are the ball players. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. like, like even guys, even if you're living in your hometown, you're still you're not there anyway. You know. So, I think he maybe is going through just like that, the loneliness of 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 loss of not having the the structure that you want around you. And maybe if that was an issue, that it would be easier to to. To
3: be away from your family, knowing that they're always gonna be there when you get back, you know? When he talks about like missing his kids running out of the playroom after games, like that is where it kind of resonates with me, where it's like, we all work. Everybody's gotta work. But you, and and that's what you're gonna spend actually most of your week doing. But even on a Tuesday when you're at work all day, like you come home and you get some time with your family at the end, and he doesn't have that. What I think about a lot with this is, and, and it's not apples to apples, but you, I think, naturally just kind of relate things like this to your own life. I, I don't think there's anything, I, I don't think there's any problem with saying this. Me and Russ and our producer, Tony, have all stepped away from this at different points because of, temporarily, because of challenges in our personal lives where it's really, really hard when you have some real life situation like that going on to come out here and perform. Let's come out here and joke around and be funny and be high energy and be into it. Um, And sometimes there have been times for me where this has been kind of um, a nice break from whatever stress is going on. There's a lot of times where like, it's hard to turn the lights on and do this enthusiastically. And I would imagine basketball is like that too. I would imagine every job is like that. There's probably days where he feels like, I'm glad I'm out here. At least I got this. At least I got these two hours or whatever to throw myself into and I can control and I can be dominant and feel really good. And there's probably other days where he's like, man, like this just seems stupid. How am I going to do this today? I have so much else going on that this is so insane. Some Tuesday night game, um, you know, against like the, the Grizzlies, like who cares? I, I mean, I remember, you know, I
4: did a, for, for a little over a year, I did an hour long, um, live, An hour long live show um, on public radio, uh, four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And at one o'clock, that show went live and 25,000 plus people were listening at the moment. Just in like our county and like Mm -hmm. stretch it out. You're talking maybe 50,000 people listening. And there are times like, you know, you have an argument at home or something is wrong with your kid or your kid is sick or you have a disagreement or something is wrong at work. And, you know, like my friend Amy Reyes, who was my my old podcast uh, co host, you know, she did some radio too, and she was in Dominican Republic, and she was like, you know, when those when that when that volume that mic turns on, the listeners don't care what's going on in your life. You have to, perf- you are on for that hour, and there are times where, like I went to the like I'd go to the bathroom, I would look at myself in the mirror, and be like, there's another, there's an end to this. So like, I just I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be a professional, I'm gonna do this show. And then after that, I'm going to, that problem will still be there and I'll deal with it then. And that's, and, and that's just like us doing our little thing here. Imagine being, you know, in front of a, you know, I don't know, ten million viewers or whatever. When uh,
3: when you yep. have that going on, and uh, it's I think it's that's a, tough that's why tough to do something like this when you're like not sure what text message is going to pop up on your phone yeah. during it, or if you're Damian Lillard, like what what am I going to find? Like what's going to be on my phone when I get back? What kind of you know sad text from my kids or somebody like that? Am I going to encounter when I get back to my locker?
4: Yeah, shout out shout out to Damian Lillard. Even though he stood, he you know I I was I was getting ready to feel to like kind of hate on him a little bit because he, he stood, he stood the heat up. Uh, so really I was cool. kind of hating on him for that. But I, as a, as a, as a human being, as a ball player, you know, he can suck it, but as a human being uh, like I feel for him and I, and I hope that that gets worked
3: out for him. It makes me hope the basketball part works out for him, Russ. Cause I mean, yeah. the other stuff, like, you know, you don't have a lot of control over some of those things, but Maybe the basketball part will work out. Finally, do you remember, I think it was a month or so ago, we talked about the swearing parrots in England? Yeah. So there's an update on this. So, Carlos, I don't know if you saw this story, but this is important news. We, um, there was a zoo in England that had eight parrots that were famous for cursing. They said every possible curse word, the zookeeper said. And, uh, and this was very popular actually with people, although they had to put signs up there, like, you know, don't bring your kids around this unless you want them to learn new words from the parrots. Um, Mm -hmm. but parrots are best. They live their best life when they are in a big flock. And so they were evaluating the idea of reintegrating these eight parrots into like the group of a hundred and this, then you're wagging your finger. You're, you're wagging your don't finger do it. very wisely because don't do it, Brits. This, this could go. This could go one of two ways. They were saying this at the time. They said, "Hey, we might end up with a hundred parrots that curse, or we might put these eight parrots in around other parrots that make normal parrot noises, and they will kind of assimilate, and it will kind of dilute and scrub out the curse words, and they'll just start making parrot noises." Uh, so far, success. The first few weeks. The zoo has reported no profanity. I, I can't really tell if they want to solve this problem or not, though, because they still have sign. They, they were the the um, administrator, or whoever that was quoted in this BBC story that I read, was saying that they still have guests that will come and try to get the parrots to curse. They'll say curse words to the parrots to get them to say it back. But they have signs up. They still have these signs up warning people that the parrots might curse. Don't like curse at the of, parrots. Like, like, we're trying to solve this problem, but we kind of want you to know that the parrots might curse. If you curse at them, you know, might be funny. I, I, I want to know that. Might, dri- might drive up business, might get more people here. I don't know if they really want to solve this problem or not. Maybe they wanted 100 cursing parrots. They should not have sold
4: an annual pass to, to Ricky Gervais. That's all I'm saying. <laughs>
3: so I'll uh, walk right into that. One weird development in this, the guy said, was that while the cursing has stopped, somehow now they have one parrot that sings over and over and over and over, we wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm and just, he said that's oh. that's delightful and endearing at Christmas time, but it's February.
4: Yeah, give me the cursing parrots. I take yeah, it back. I'm, I'm, I take it back. Parrot. I want I want to flock. I want to be like, you know, like the windows open, you know, it's LA, it's 72 degrees. Uh oh, the AC is not working. I'm gonna open the window. <laughs> windows. And outside, and outside is uh, is uh, is parrots. You know, using every flavor of 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 the Queen's English. I, I really it like. It sounds
3: that. like they were. It sounds like they were. That was how they described it. it was every swear, every profanity imaginable. That was how they originally described this which and in a british again, accent i think to again, me it sounded like an attraction it sounded like they were promoting this as an attraction so i don't they know wanted to they re- they wanted i to think they it. maybe wanted to see it turn the the quote-unquote wrong way one yeah. thousand percent yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah yeah give me the give me the cursing parrots. i need that i think we need that i think we need those in florida like i think that fits our our ethos <laughs> parrots yeah. cursing in a british accent Right. God, I wish I could just do a little cursing now, but just I'm not hanging out on the
3: on the overpass over I 95.
2: That's yeah. the news, Russ. Oh, that is, well, that's something. That's something. Before I let Jason uh, get us out of here with our thank you to our wonderful guest, who we've just had a absolutely fantastic time with Carlos, we need to tell you if you want the best sheets in the world like Carlos, you need to go to Sheets and Giggle, sheetsgiggles.com forward slash SA Sleep Month. You can get 25% off for the Sleep Month sale. And if you use our promo code or go to sheetsgiggles.com forward slash SA, you get an additional $23 off. So 25% plus $23 off Sleep Month. If you want to sleep well like Carlos tonight, sheetsgiggles.com forward slash SA. We're also brought to you by Bet MGM, you can get up to $1,500 back in free betting credit. If you do not win your first bet using our promo code ADJACENT1000, that is ADJACENT1000, Bet MGM, the king of sports books. Jason. Carlos
3: Frias is one of the most talented, interesting, deep-thinking people that I have ever had the privilege to be friends with. And the thing I will remember from having him on this podcast is him describing Greg Maddox shirtless as a white plastic garbage bag full of meat.
4: Ah, uh, Going out on a high note. Going out on a high note.
2: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sports Adjacent with, with Jason Leisure and Russell Dorsey. Be sure to download, subscribe, and give the podcast five stars. You can check out the latest episode of Sports Adjacent on all digital streaming platforms. I'm very much adjacent. For a couple hours, I thought I was hood. But then all that happened, I was like, you know what, James? You adjacent to the mother...
1: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.